0: in this series about the end times, we're going to talk about another event called the Judgment Seat of Christ. The Judgment Seat of Christ is about the reward of believers. Now, let me back it up, okay? Uh, Our youth, I mean, if you have one of the charts, get them out, um, because I want you to look at this, but if you don't have a chart, don't worry, we'll give you one at the end. Um, Remember... Old Testament creation. Jesus died on the cross for us. All right. We enter what's called the church age. God primarily dealt with the Jews in the Old Testament. God is primarily working through the Gentiles in the New Testament, what is called the church age. You and I belong to that. At some point, we don't know when, it's got to be close. The rapture of the church will happen, okay? I'm using this side of the pulpit to kind of so you'll understand this visually. All right, the rapture of the church will happen. On earth will be the great tribulation, okay? I'm using the bottom of this pulpit to represent that. On earth, at that time, will be the great tribulation. The church will be raptured, be with Jesus. Now, what is the church gonna do when it's up here with Jesus for these seven years until the church comes back with Him at what we call the second coming? Well, one of the main things that's gonna happen during this seven year period. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And it's only for believers. Amen. Lost people will not be there. If you're saved, you will be here at this, this judgment seat. Some, see, some people think, well gosh, once I'm saved, I don't have to face any judgment Well, not judgment for your sins, but we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but it is clearly taught in Scripture. Now, let me tell you something. I want you to think about this. Did you know that heaven is going to be different for each believer? Now, you're still going to go to heaven, but it's going to be different for each believer. Uh, Heaven will be a wonderful place. There will still be streets of gold and a... A pearl so large, it's a gate, one pearl, and all those kind of things. And it's not just because it's going to be so beautiful. It's that old song, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. There was this old preacher where I pastored before, and he, he pronounced heaven like this. He'd, go, How, he'd sing, How beautiful heaven would be. I, you know, I think about that song, Heaven <laughs> Will Be. Anyway, um, heaven's going to be a beautiful place, but if you're saved there will be different degrees of blessedness in heaven. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. Let me give you an overview of today's message as we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, the reward of believers. Here's the flyover over this message, okay? We're going to talk about the timing. When does it take place? I've already kind of told you, but we're going to prove it to you why we know it takes place here up in heaven during the tribulation period we want on earth, okay? We're, and then we're going to talk about the participants. Who will be there? And we're going to prove to you who will be there from Scripture. Then we're going to talk about, this is very big, the criterion. Well, if heaven's going to be different for different people, what criterion are we going to be judged by in order to determine the degree of blessedness in heaven? And then we're going to talk about the rewards. Okay, great, great. I'm going to get rewards from the Lord. But what kind of rewards do I receive from the Lord? And then the challenge. Because we know we're going to stand before Jesus as believers and we're going to get rewarded, not judged for our sins, but rewarded, what kind of lives should we be living now? So that's kind of the overview of this message. Let's first start off uh, reading the key verse about this judgment seed of Christ. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament per se, specifically. It is first really highlighted in 2 Corinthians 5 verse uh, 10. These are two different translations. Look what it says. Paul's talking to believers, not to lost people. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved, you're going to appear there. That each one may receive the things done in the body, that is, while you're living on earth, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That word bad there does not mean evil. It means worthless. Here's a different translation of the Living Bible. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged and have our lives laid bare before Him. Each of us will receive whatever he deserves for the good or the bad. Again, uh, good meaning that will last, bad meaning that will not last. Things He has done in His earthly body. Look what uh, Warren Wiersbe said about this uh, uh, judgment seat that we're going to appear before. So listen to this. The term judgment seat comes from the Greek word bema, which was the platform in Greek towns where orations, that is speeches, were made or decisions handed down by rulers. So there was a judgment there. It was also the place where the awards were given out to the winners in the annual Olympic Games. This judgment seat must not be confused with the great white throne judgment, which will judge the wicked. Because of the gracious work of Christ on the cross, believers will not face their sins, but we will have to give an account of our works and service of the Lord. Now, I want to show you, as we start off, the timing. When does it take place? Now, how do we know that it takes place during while tribulation's happening on Earth, all hells breaking out on Earth, the wrath, the wrath of God, the Antichrist reign? How do we know that we will be here receiving our rewards as believer? So, when did, believers, what time does it take place? Look at what Jesus said, Revelation twenty two twelve Behold, I am coming. Quickly Remember what the rapture happens? Bam, It happens quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. Jesus is not going to give uh, lost people a great reward, is he? Uh, look at Luke 14:12 through14, uh, 12 through 14. Jesus is using a parable. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, this is Jesus' teaching rather, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot... Repay you. Now watch what happens if you do this. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Okay? So uh, that's the timing of the uh, uh, judgment seat of Christ. Now look what Paul said. 2 Timothy 4, eight. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day... And not only, not to me only, but to also those who have loved his appearing. Now, remember, I told you there are two events. There's the rapture, which I believe clearly the Bible refers to as the glorious appearing. And then there's the actual second coming uh, of Jesus Christ. Two different events. We will see Jesus at the rapture. Uh, of the church and we will go on to our reward. Let me illustrate that a little bit further from people who are a lot smarter than me. Thomas Ice and Demi. Uh, This is a little booklet I have called Fast Facts on Bible Prophecy. And here's what they said. At the rapture, the church will be removed from the earth and be present with Christ throughout the tribulation. Uh, The... The Bema Judgment, that's really how it's pronounced, will take place in heaven while the tribulation is taking place on earth. So that, here's the purpose, the church may be adorned as Christ's bride in order to descend with Him at the second coming. You've heard of the bridal room at a church. A lot of times they'll have a place that's just set aside for the bride to get ready. Guess what? The judgment seat of Christ, the rapture, we go up to the bride's room. (laughs) to get ready for the wedding. When does the wedding take place? At the second coming of Jesus Christ, we'll be coming back as His bride. And then that the Bema evaluation of the entire church takes place after the rapture, but before the second coming is seen in the fact that Revelation 19, 7 through 8 notes, quote, that His bride has made her... Self-ready. And so if there's only one coming and there is no rapture, when does God made make His bride ready? When does the judgment seat of Christ uh, take place? I mean, are we going to go through the tribulation, all of a sudden be rapture and go, boom, we got our bridegroom, we got our bride dress on, and we come back down? I don't think so. I think those happen at two separate times. Now look what else they say. And it was given to her, this is a quote, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. What's that bright linen? For the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Since the conclusion of the judgment is pictured as clothing of fine linen, the entire church must have gone through the evaluation or bema judgment by the time of His second coming. Now, So we talked about the timing of this Bema It will happen here in heaven, and it will happen during the tribulation period while we are rescued out. All right, let's talk about the participants. Who will be there? We've already told you it's believers only, but how do we know that? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4-5, again, he's talking to people, who were in the church age, just like we are. He's talking to a local church, just like we are. And Here's what he said. So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether a, someone is a good servant or not. Here's, here's what he says here. You know, somebody may look like a good, faithful church member, but they may be lost. So don't go ahead and pass judgment and say, man, they're a godly Christian. You don't necessarily know that. You can have a hunch... But you don't know that for sure because I've seen people who I thought were very, very godly Christians only to realize they were lost. So he says, "Let's go back to that, so be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether someone is a good servant or not. When the Lord comes, He will turn on the light so that everyone can see exactly what each of us is really like deep down in our hearts. Then everyone will know why we have been doing the Lord's work, that is, our motives. They will see our motives. At that time, God will give to each one whatever praise is coming to Him. Now, how do I know that the participants of the, um, of the uh, judgment seat of Christ um, is uh, only for believers because this? God's going to praise those that go through this judgment. He will not praise lost people. He is praising us for our faithfulness uh, to Him. More about that later. Now look at another verse on this. This is Romans 14, 10. You have no right to criticize your brother, your Christian brother, or look down on him. Remember, each of us will stand personally, before the judgment seat of God. Now, we look at Billy Graham, we're like, man, I tell you what, he must have went on to a great reward because he was a Christian, but he preached the gospel to more people than any other person ever in Christian history, human history. Billy Graham did. And we look at Billy Graham, we're like, man, I tell you what, he's racked it up in heaven. But you know what? There was a lady who dedicated herself to pray for Billy Graham. She would go to his crusades and not attend the crusades. She would go to a hotel room and pray the whole time. Could it be that woman gets more rewards in heaven than he did? That's why it says, don't criticize your brother or look down on him. Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. That means this, personally before the judgment seat of God. Joyce will stand before Jesus. Linda Wages will stand before Jesus. Bill will stand before Jesus. Lord help you. And then uh, (laughs) Robert will stand before Jesus. Brother Dennis will stand before Jesus. And I will stand before Jesus. We won't stand as a group. Somehow God works this out. I will individually look upon the Son of God and give an account for my life. Okay? Now... Uh, That's very uh, humbling, is it not? Now, the question is if I stand before Jesus as a saved person, how is He going to judge me? What is He going to evaluate? What is He looking for? The criterion on which what basis will be judged. Well, look what the Bible says, clearly tells us in this same uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 3 11 through 15. For no other foundation can be laid that which is laid. What foundation is he talking about? Which is Jesus Christ. When you get saved, that's the foundation of your spiritual house, okay? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, that is, after you get saved, you have a choice as to whether what you're going to build that foundation on top of it. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, stop right there. Gold, silver, precious stones, those are things that last. Those are things that are of value, okay? But then he goes on to things that are worthless. Wood, hay, and straw. Remember the three little piggies or something? I'll blow your house down, okay? God's going to blow your house down if you build with these things. Wood, hay, or straw. And then it says this, each one's work, the focus is on the work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed how? By fire. To me, the fire there represents the burning judgment, the omniscience of God that sees right through it. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Was it gold, silver, precious stones that are going to last in eternity? Or was it just worthless chaff that wasn't worth anything. If anyone's work, when the fire hits it, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now here's what that means. There'll be some Christians on that day who live worthless lives. Most of what they did was just worthless. It was not really lived with the right motive for the Lord. And here's the way to say that. Some people are going to get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. Did you know Ty Cobb was a great baseball player? He got saved on his deathbed. And let me say this, it is infinitesimally small that people get saved on their deathbed. But Ty Cobb got saved... On his deathbed, and you know what one of his last words were? Tell people, it's better to get saved at the top of the first inning than to get saved at the bottom of the ninth inning. Okay? You know what he realized? He realized that he had lived a worthless life. He'd wasted his life. And at heaven, he'll probably get rewarded for that statement. That's a good statement. But you know what? He he will be there, but he will be saved but he'll just get in by the skin of his teeth. Okay? And I would hate to say, are there people here who will get to heaven, but they have not stored up up treasure in heaven, and they'll get to heaven, but just by the skin of their teeth. All right? So, that is uh, the criterion. Now, how do you know that your works as a Christian are going to last? There's three tests. We're still talking about the criteria. Bless you. Bless you. wonder if I get a reward for saying bless you. What do you think? I don't know. Uh, the, the first one is the power test. Am I serving God in God's strength? Have I prayed before the sermon, God, I don't want this to be my words. I want it to be your words. I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'm not relying on my own intellect. I'm not relying on what I learned in seminary. I'm not relying about what I studied this week. I'm relying on the power of God to preach and teach through me. That kind of sermon will last. That kind of sermon will last. You say, well, what I do around here is just insignificant. Well, when you go to do something around this church, have you prayed, God, would you bless what I'm doing today? God, would you give me the strength to do what you're calling me to do in my part in this church? Do you ever pray that? So there is the power test. Look what um, uh, this verse says about that, 1 Peter 4.11. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? How do you do that? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies in the power of the Holy Spirit, you see. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. It will remain. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's so the power test will determine whether what you did will will, uh, be rewarded in heaven. Did you know you can still serve and not be rewarded in heaven? God says you have to pray about whatever you do and ask Him for His strength to do it. So, y'all need to start doing that, okay? Y'all start doing that. All right, now, here's the next thing the motive test. Am I serving for the glory of God when I do this? I'm not wanting to be praised. If I sing a solo, I don't want people to say to me, well, that was a wonderful solo. And we come down thinking, <laughs> check me out. You know, Your motive has to be right. Am I doing this? Not out of a selfish thing, but ultimately for the glory of God. Now listen what the Bible says here. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness, that is the things you can't see in your own heart, and reveal the counsels or the motives of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. Again, lost people don't get praised. Only saved people get praised. There was uh, a guy that I'd mentioned recently, and I'm not going to name him, but he was a great defender of the faith. And I think for many years he walked with the Lord. I really do. I think he was a godly man for many years. And he'll be rewarded for that. But in his latter years, something happened. He just got away from the Lord. He was still speaking at conferences. He was still known as one of the greatest defenders of the faith there's ever been. But he had some moral problems at least his last decade. He was living a double life. Yet he was still renowned and speaking there. And I want to tell you something. During that time, he was not being rewarded because you can't be doing it for the glory of God and living an immoral life. And so he's not going to get rewarded for all those sermons and all those things that he talked about. During that time, praise God, by the grace of God, he will get rewarded for those times he did it for the glory of God. And hey, here's the good news, like King David, even if you're living a double life like King David, you can still get right with God. He could have got right with God and lived out his life, maybe not on that huge of a platform, but on some kind of platform, teaching and preaching the Word of God. Now here's the next um, test. Not only the power test, not only the motive test, but the love test. Remember the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. Two greatest commandments in the Bible. The love test. Am I serving out of love for God and for others? Look what it says here. Jesus said it, uh, Luke 6, 35, but love your enemies. That doesn't mean you feel love for them. You act in love towards your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And look at this, and your reward will be great. Now Bruce Wilkinson said something last week that was so good. Oh man, it was good about forgiveness. Listen, you cannot love your enemies unless you first forgive your enemies. If you try to love your enemies first without forgiving them... It'll be torture for you. But once you take care of step one, forgiving them, and even though you may not necessarily feel like loving them or you agree with them, you can still practice love for them. As they say, love is a decision. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Now, sometimes there are feelings, sometimes there's not. But God, God never commanded us to do something that we could not do. And God said, love your enemies. All right, now here's the. Uh, let me give you some uh, words from great men of God that talk about this time in history, about the judgment seat of Christ. R.C. Sproul, who's a great Presbyterian, uh, theologian, Man, this guy's so brilliant. His, his brain was the size of an elephant, mine's the size of a pea, okay? That's how brilliant this guy was. He is now in heaven. He has gone on to his reward, and I think the Lord straightened out his theology a little bit. Uh, cause, <laughs> cause, uh, but anyway, that's a joke for those of you who understand that. All right, but here's what he said. There are degrees of reward that are given in heaven. I'm surprised that this answer surprises so many people. I think there's a reason Christians are shocked when I say there are various levels of heaven as well as gradu- gradations, I think that's how it's pronounced, which means uh, levels of severity of punishment in hell. We're going to talk about that later on. Heaven won't be the same for everybody, hell won't be the same for everybody. I think abortionists are going to be at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the pit of hell. I think people that uh, are false prophets are going to be at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the pit of hell. But somebody who, is, as we all say, the, somebody who hasn't heard the gospel, yet the Bible says God gives them enough light. If they want to be saved, they can follow that light and be saved. But men love darkness rather than light, and so they choose to disobey God's light I think a person like that, although he will experience torment in hell, it will not be the same degree of punishment in hell as somebody who's heard the gospel all their life. Which, by the way, ought to scare you to death if you're not saved here today because light is pumping out of the Word of God this morning. And the more you reject the light, the greater your punishment in hell. So you better get saved. Now here's another guy... (laughs) He's kind of what R.C. Sproul went back to, John Calvin. Again, he's in heaven, and his theology has been tweaked in heaven. But here's what he said. He's right on this. Nothing is clearer than that a reward is promised to good works. That is, to a saved person. In order to support the weakness of our flesh by some comfort, but not to inflate our minds with vainglory. What does he say there? That's kind of old... uh, talk right there. He's saying that God has given us a motivation to be faithful to him. That motivation is that he's going to reward us. We need that. We need something to propel us forward to be obedient to God. But we don't do those things, good things, so we can say, look at me, look at me. That's the motive test. That's what he's talking about. Now, let's go on to somebody who will probably not have to have his theology tweaked. Chuck Swindoll, here's what he said. One of the great doctors of Christianity is our firm belief in a heavenly home. Ultimately, we shall spend eternity with God in a place He's prepared for us. And part of that exciting anticipation is His promise to reward His servants for a job well done. I don't know many believers in Jesus Christ who never think of being with their Lord in heaven receiving his smile of acceptance and hearing his, quote, Jesus said this, well done, good and faithful servant. We even refer to one who has died in this way. He has gone home to his reward. You ever heard that ex- uh, statement before? He's gone home to his reward. You ever heard that? Okay, that's, that's something that a lot of people say. And then uh, back to R.C. Sproul, but he said it differently on a different occasion here. He said, I'd say there are at least 25 occasions where the New Testament clearly teaches that we will be granted rewards according to our works. That's for saved people. Jesus frequently holds out the reward motif as the carrot in front of the horse. Great will be your reward in heaven if you do this or that. We are called to work to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven even as the wicked, as Paul tells us in Romans, treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. Hey, listen, I'm making deposits in the bank of heaven when I do things with the right motives, out of love and out of the power of God. I am laying up treasures for heaven. People who reject the gospel are laying up punishments in hell. If you hear this sermon, whether you're on a podcast or you're here present, when you hear this, and I'm telling you, you better get saved, and you reject that, you have just added more punishment to yourself in hell. Now, Billy Graham, you all know him. Here's what he said. The believer has his foundation in Jesus Christ. Now we're to build upon this foundation. And the work we have done must stand the ultimate test. Here it is. Final exams come at the judgment seat of Christ when we receive our rewards. And here's old Charles. Y'all know Charles, don't you? Charles Stanley? Here's what he said. The kingdom of God will not be the same for all the believers. Isn't that what I told you at the beginning of this? The kingdom of God will not be the same for all believers. Let me put it another way. Some believers will have rewards for their earthly faithfulness. Others will not. Some people will reign with Christ. Others will not. Some will be rich in the kingdom of God, others will be poor. Some will be given true riches, others will not. Some will be, heaven, uh, be given heavenly treasures of their own, others will not. I remember uh, at my last church, there was a lady, a dear sweet lady. She was Japanese, but she'd moved here. She got married to a guy, military situation, you know what I'm talking about. Sweet, dear servant lady. And uh, I remember one of her specialties. She she worked in the kitchen. That was her main thing. And she made egg rolls like you've never tasted in your life. I could just eat a plate of those egg rolls, okay? She knew how to make them. Kind of like grandma's biscuits. But that's a Japanese woman's egg rolls, okay? And she could not pronounce the R word. So she'd always say, do you want some egg rolls? Egg rolls. That's the way she'd call them. I remember one time I had to call her at the last minute, Linda. You know how sometimes I have to say, Linda, can you get this together or something like that? And I called her and I said, "Mamoe, will you please, I forgot we need a fellowship for this. Will you please get it, get this together for me? She's like, oh, yes, I'll take care of it, no problem. And I saw her, I wanted to thank her for that. And I said, "Mamoe, I said, you're such a great servant. When, when we get to heaven, <clears throat> I just hope you're going to be living in some huge house. I'm going to be living in your doghouse, okay? And, and you know what she said? I will bring you egg rolls. <laughs> I'll never forget that. So some of us are going to live in these big glorious places or whatever. We're going to be rewarded. Some of us, we're going to be saved, but we're going to be in the doghouse, so to speak, okay? That's what he's, uh, what he's saying there. I knew y'all would enjoy that story. All right, now, um, let's talk about, you know, the the kind of rewards that we're going to receive. Well, the Bible talks about these crowns. Now, I don't know, I mean, you you think about a crown. Oh, great, a crown. That's what I think about, you know, crown, good deal. I got diamonds or something. Uh, but, But apparently... I don't know if that means literal crowns. It may do that. But whatever it is, it has got to be awesome. Blow you away awesome to wear one of these crowns, okay? There there are five different kind of crowns uh, the Bible mentions. There is the imperishable crown, and it's given out to a certain group of people. Uh, This crown is given to believers who show extraordinary self-control, discipline, self-denial, and single-mindedness in their efforts, just as an athlete must work hard to win. Tom Brady is paying, playing in the Super Bowl tonight. He's probably the greatest quarterback that's ever lived. He is 43. Can you say amen to that? I don't know if you can or not. But anyway, uh, we'll take it, okay? May not be rewarded in heaven, but we'll, we'll take it, okay? Tom Brady is probably the greatest quarterback who's Ever lived. He's gone to, I don't know how many Super Bowls. He's up to nine, I think, now or something like that. Didn't mean he won all the Super Bowls. He's gone to this team that was just, he was traded to this team that was mediocre and in their first year took them all the way to the Super Bowl and they're going to be playing tonight. Still come tonight, watch the the last half of the Super Bowl on your DVR or whatever you want to do. But he's going to be playing the Super Bowl. And you know what they say about him? Because he says, I still feel great. I still want to play. He's 43. That's ancient in football. Thing, You know what they say? Because he is extremely self-disciplined. He eats the right foods all the time. He disciplines himself. They say it is insane what he does to keep himself in shape. And that's why he's still 43, ready to go out there. Okay? You know what? This is believers that are like that. This is believers who are so sold out to Jesus, man. They are living for God. I mean, that's the kind of people who will inherit an imperishable crown. I think Paul uh, will definitely get that crown. Here's another crown. It's called the crown of glory, and I think this is given to like pastors and those who are in kind of a leadership role in the church. This crown is given to faithful church leaders who serve eagerly, e- eagerly eagerly and humbly. So, I hope that that is me. I sure do enjoy serving the Lord, so I guess that qualifies for eagerly. Uh, eagerly, And I hope that I do it humbly. Now, I joke around sometimes and I talk about, don't y'all have a good-looking pastor? I, I, you know, but that's joking, okay? But, which is not true, and so that's why I'm joking. Uh, but I hope that I do it with a humble heart, all right? Then the crown of life. This is for people. Look at this. Both of these passages receive a special crown reward, crown reward promised to those who endure severe temptation, suffering, and tribulation in faithfulness and love. Do you know what they tell us? That in a, Iran right now, there's an explosion of people getting saved. Most of those people who do get saved because they're Muslims, their family will cut them off. They will be persecuted. There are people in China right now who are persecuted for their faith. And God says, for those who endure this kind of thing, I'm going to give them a special crown. You will be rewarded. And whatever that crown of life is, it's going to be awesome. Now, there's also called the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. And I like this, to be given to all who, who have loved and longed for the return of the Lord. I think I may get that because I love prophecy. I love the fact Jesus is coming back. The more I study the Bible, the more I long for Jesus to come back. I love for Jesus to come back. I'm not ashamed when He comes back. I'm ready to meet Him. And the Bible says that you're going to be receiving, receive a crown because you long for the return of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you longing for Jesus to come back? Are you excited when you hear messages like this? Man, that's going to be a great day. Okay? You'll get a crown. Then there's the crown of joy. This indicates a crown for those who have brought others into the kingdom through witnessing. That means this, if you are a soul winner and you share your faith, even listen, this is good, even if they don't get saved, but you're faithful to share the gospel seed, God said He's going to reward you with a crown of joy. What that is, I don't know. It has something to do with joy. I'll tell you some other things that I'm, that I'm not covering here. You know, the Bible says that if we are faithful with a few things here on earth, God will make us ruler over much in heaven. You know? Now, knowing me, I mean, there's, I mean, excuse me, in the millennial kingdom. Now, I don't understand this, but could it be that God gives us certain territories to rule over during the uh, millennial kingdom? I mean, Robert may be ruling over uh, Little Rock. You know, I'm probably gonna be ruling over Horseshoe Bend or Franklin. You know, that'll be my level. But 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 somehow we're gonna get rewarded, and I'm telling you, it's gonna be 10 million times more glorious than we can even think of. All right, now the challenge. Now that you've heard this sermon, how should we respond? Now, very quickly. We need to realize the way we live our life impacts our eternity. We need to use our gifts that God has given us, our natural talents and our spiritual gifts to serve God right now. We all need to be active serving God because guess what? If we're not, it will burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. If we are faithful, God's going to reward us. Then make sure our service really lasts. Am I doing it in the power of God no matter what I do? Am I doing it with the right motive? Am I doing it out of love for God and love for others? Make sure my service is gold, silver, precious stones, not wood, hay, and stubble. And then serve with an anticipation of reward. Maybe you've not thought about rewards before. Maybe you have obeyed God out of gratitude, but you know what the Bible says? Serve God out of anticipation that if you're faithful to Him, He's going to bless you. Not only in this earth, as Jesus said, but abundantly more in heaven. And then, look what Jesus said. This is a command. Just as much a command is love your enemies or love God with all your heart, it is an equal command. Look what Jesus said. Stop storing up treasures for yourself on earth. Where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, this is a command. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal, your heart will be where your treasure is. I can't say a whole lot uh, about my service to God and faithfulness to God, you know, I, God will have to reward that. But I can tell you that ever since I got right with God, I have been a sacrificial giver. I have given like crazy to the work of God. I have always given more than a tithe, much more to tithe, helping people out giving. Even though I don't make a huge salary, I'm grateful for the salary I got. I think y'all pay, pay me very fa- fairly. And every church I've served has paid me very fairly, but it doesn't ever matter what I made. I always wanted to tithe, even go beyond the tithe. I wanted to give to people. I wanted to give to missions. And listen, I believe with all my heart, when I did that, I was making deposits in the bank of heaven. And Jesus said, when you do that, it'll come back tenfold, a hundredfold. I may not ever have a whole lot of money in this world. Who cares? I'm putting my money in the bank of heaven. And Jesus said, that tells you where your heart truly is. Is it on this earth or is it going to be for eternity in heaven? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this message. God, I pray everybody understands this. I pray everybody understands how they need to get busy. Is that old song says, we will work till Jesus comes. We'll be gathered home. Are we working for the Lord? Are we serving the Lord? Are we busy laying up treasures in heaven? Are we being sacrificial? I tell you, God has set up the most fair system in the world. It's called the tithe. Which means this, it doesn't matter what you make. When you give a tithe, you are being sacrificial as the same person who may be wealthy and they give 10% of their money. It is so fair. Are you being faithful to God in your tithes? I'll say it again. I believe if all of us would be faithful in that area, we will always have the money we need at least to meet our expenses. And I believe that. If you're not, guess what? Somebody's paying your way. Somebody, you're on spiritual welfare. You you say, man, I don't like all that welfare the government's giving away to people who are just sitting there not doing anything. Well, how about you in the church? Are you being faithful to give to him? I will never apologize for asking people to be blessed by God by giving their tithe. Let me ask you another question. You will stand before God one, one way. If you're stay, saved, you will stand before him. You will not be judged for your sins, but he will evaluate your works if you're saved. But if you are lost, there is no second chance. So the question of this, it's either bow now and receive him as Savior, or bow then and receive him as your return, and bow before the eternal judge, and you will be eternally saved judged in hell so our call today is simply to be obedient to him lord would you bless this invitation help people respond to salvation to rededicate their lives to be sold out and living for him we ask this in jesus name